Well, thank you, Pastor Levi, and what, again, an honor to be invited to come and uh, share with you a little bit about Feb Central, but also to open God's Word. And I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles right now to Philippians chapter 4, and uh, as we just prepare in a moment, we'll be reading uh, verses 4 through verse 9. It'll be our text this morning. You know, life is a beautiful gift from God, isn't it? I, I know it's hard to, to do this with your mask on, but would you do something with me? Would you take a, a big breath in and then let that out? That is a gift from God. And every other breath you will take today and the next day, and however long you're on this earth, each breath, the Bible says, breath, life, and everything else, is a gift from God. My ability to be in front of you today, walk up these stairs and stand here and preach, is all of God's grace. Everything that we enjoy. God owes us nothing but his justice, but he gives us life, breath, everything else, and he gives us Jesus on top of all of that. He gives us himself, the gift of himself and his son. Isn't that incredible? And yet, as we have learned in the last two years, right, this life, this earthly life, is a beautiful gift, but it's a fragile gift, right? Easily broken. And even in the last few days, as we have seen what's going on across the world, I think we've all sensed just how fragile, how fractured this gift of life is, this side of heaven, Right? It's beautiful, but it's simultaneously broken. Many people through these last two years and even in these most recent days are feeling somewhat overwhelmed, vulnerable. We're all kind of getting a sense of how small we are, how little we control, how little we really know as human beings. Maybe that's you today as you walk into this place. Now more than ever, people are realizing just how incredibly vulnerable. The powerful temptation, of course, when this happens, is to respond with fear and with anxiety. And you know, fear and anxiety manifest itself in different ways. Have you noticed that through COVID? Fear can immobilize people. And so some have just hunkered down, and they are saying, like, when this is all over, I will come out. I will engage. I'm just going to, I'm going to protect myself by hiding here. Other people, in response to their fear, do something very different than that. They try to control every little detail of what's going on in their environment. Because I'm going to protect myself, and so I'm going to control. I'm going to take control. I'm not going to let myself be vulnerable. Fear is a powerful thing. And we know that God doesn't want us to have fear and anxiety. He wants us to find our refuge in Him. He wants Himself to be our peace, even in the storm, even in the brokenness. I think of the words of Jesus in John chapter 14 where he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. 
And then just a couple of chapters later, Jesus continued with this theme, and he said, in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I've overcome the brokenness. Friends, Jesus gives us something that nothing in this world can give us. Peace with God, peace with one another, and peace within ourselves. Through his victorious work on this earth, through his life, his death, his resurrection, he has, he has brought victory over all the brokenness, over sin, over death. And he's made it possible for each of us to have a deep, lasting, eternal peace. that is not dependent on the roller coaster ride of the circumstances of this life. But here's the thing. We don't automatically experience this peace as a follower of Jesus. God calls us first to see it, to understand it, then to really live in it, to savor it, and then to share it with others to give it away, to be distributors of God's amazing grace and peace. How do we do that? How do we take hold of the peace of God that is really ours in Jesus Christ? That's what our text that we're going to look at this morning, I believe, gives to us. How do we we truly partake of it and give it away to others? So I'm going to invite you to please stand with me in honor of God's word this morning as we read... And you can follow along. I'm going to be reading from Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness, or I think more appropriately, gentleness, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand, or the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, can't get it in this world, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your truth. And thank you that your Holy Spirit really is our teacher today. May our hearts be open and soft to what you want to say to each one of us. May you have the freedom you deserve to have in each of our lives for your glory and for our good. May we see with greater clarity the peace that can only come through your Son. May we drink of that peace and may we give it away to others. So be glorified as we spend time in your truth this morning. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul, every text has a context, and 
This one has one as well, and the Apostle Paul is ending his letter to the Philippian believers here with a series of practical commands to help them grow spiritually in their relationship with Jesus Christ. These believers were experiencing difficult circumstances. As you read the whole book of Philippians, you see this. They were experiencing persecution. If you go back to chapter 1, chapter 3, you will see this. They were experiencing suffering for Christ. They, we know they were experiencing financial hardship. According to Paul's own words in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he talks about that financial uh, pressure and stress in their lives. We also know from the book that they were experiencing fractured relationships. There was visible disunity in the church of Philippi, and Paul addresses that in the book. Sounds familiar under COVID? Some Christians have been struggling to be unified. And and these were difficult days for the church. And in addition to all of that, their spiritual father, Paul, was in prison for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were concerned for him. And with a pastor's heart, the apostle Paul ends his letter encouraging them how to deal with all this brokenness. And he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, even on the roller coaster ride of life. And he's going to give them four commands, very specific, and I'm going to give you a visual to help you remember them. He's going to say, look up. He's going to say, reach out. And he's going to say, lift up and drink in. So we'll be looking at each one of these commands as we go through the passage and how he uh, just gives those to us. The first thing he says is this, keep looking up in faith, verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say... Rejoice. He stresses rejoice. Now, it's important here to see what he doesn't say and what he does say. What he doesn't say is rejoice in every little circumstance in your life. Because not every circumstance is good. There's a lot of the impact of sin in the world and its consequences. And there is, there is, there's a frailty. There's a There's a fragility and a fleeting nature to this life. It is broken in various ways. Sin and death has impacted life on this side of heaven. And so he doesn't say, you know, give thanks and rejoice in every circumstance, that the actual circumstance. What he's saying is rejoice in the Lord in your circumstance. That's the positive. You can always rejoice in the Lord. So the key to life is not where we are, if you will, on that roller coaster, but who is with us on that roller coaster ride. It's Jesus. And I'm his child. And he will never leave me or forsake me. And so I can always rejoice in him. The key then to joy and peace and contentment in our lives, Paul is getting to, is not focusing on everything out there, but focusing on the Lord in the midst of every craziness that's going on. Why, why does he say this? Because the, the Lord is unchanging while the circumstances of your life are constantly changing. And the only way you're going to be able to find peace and something secure is not if you focus on those things out there, but you focus on the Lord who is secure. All things in your life, even the good gifts, 
are, are brief and fleeting, but Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? So all the gifts you're enjoying, even your wonderful kids and marriage and all those good gifts are beautiful but broken. Only Jesus is beautiful and unbroken. So don't lock into the gifts. Enjoy them, but enjoy them with an open hand. Don't focus on those. Don't worship those. Focus and worship Jesus alone. Rejoice in him. Do you see it? It's about what he has done, is doing, and will do in my life. And friends, knowing that God won't waste anything in my life, but he'll use it, the Bible promises, to give us my greatest good of being more like Jesus. That's what Romans 8.28 is saying. It's not that all things are good, but that he causes all things for a greater good to be conformed to the likeness of his son. And that is forever. That's a forever treasure. And you can always rejoice in every circumstance because somehow God wants to redeem it to give you more of Jesus. More of tasting his life, his power, and his presence. This is what Paul's getting at. Friends, do you not agree with me that most people in the West are trying to bring peace in their lives by creating just the right environment of circumstances? If I can just, if I can just get this better job, if, if my marriage would, would, would stop being frustrating, and, and just if my spouse would get their act together, and then I could find peace and joy. If my kids would only perform in a certain manner. If the government fill in the blank. And on and on we could go. And as a result, friends, we in the West try to control everything. Now, I'm not against, I am very much for human responsibility And we can cast upon the sovereignty of God our irresponsibility. And the Bible condemns that. We should never do that. But it doesn't take long, friends, to see that many things in our lives are beyond our puny little capacities. Friends, a microscopic virus has taken down the world. You can't even see it with a human eye. If we are dependent on our circumstances as the measurement of our joy, our peace, and our contentment, it'll never happen. You know, just a few verses later in this text, Paul is going to give some verses that are very well known, particularly Philippians 4, 13. Do you see them there, 12 and 13? I know how to be brought low And I know how to abound, he says, in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now that Philippians 4.13 is often taken out of context. People say, aha, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I want a better job, I can do it through Christ. I want want better this circumstance, that circumstance. I want healing. I can do all things through Christ. But actually, if you read the context and you read verse 12 with verse 13, you see what Paul is getting at. He's saying this, friends, when I can't control the external environment because I've known plenty and I've known want, 
I've been on the top of the mountain and in the valley. I've been all over the place in my circumstances. And what I've learned is this. When I can't control my external environment, by the power of the living Christ, I can choose my attitude of faith and be rock solid. Wow! Isn't that something? I can have a security and contentment in this roller coaster ride of life through the power of a living Christ in me. In fact, by faith, we can even know that our sovereign God mysteriously takes our pain and takes the effects of a fallen world to deepen our experience of our greatest treasure, Jesus. Friends, God is able to make everything a servant, to lead us to become more like his son. I am, through Christ, a conqueror in all circumstances. Not even death itself can stand as an enemy in the face of Jesus Christ. And so, this is why Paul says, in every circumstance, you can rejoice. Because you can rejoice in Jesus in that circumstance. Look up. Lift your vision from this down here to Jesus and just have your confidence in him. There's a second way to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and lives. Paul says, keep reaching out in love. He says, let your reasonableness, or as other translations, the New King James, the NIV, gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand, or the Lord is near. In other words, Paul's saying here, you're not going to find peace and joy by focusing on it, by, but by focusing on doing God's will, especially, especially in loving others. The New American Standard, I think, really captures the deeper sense of what Paul is getting at here when he says reasonableness or gentleness. Because sometimes you could just say, well, he's talking about being nice. Well, that actually isn't fully what Paul is getting at here. It, it says in the New American Standard Bible, let your forbearing spirit be known to all people, all men. In other words, he's talking about, yes, gentleness, kindness, patience, but he's talking about that in the face of hostility. Friends, can we not be honest here? It's easy to love the lovely. It's another thing to love the unlovely. <laughs> and yet this is how God has treated us. God showed his love toward us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. When we were shaking our fist in rebellion against God, he left his throne room through his son and he came and he became a human being and then he became our servant and he died like a common criminal on a cross. He poured out his rights and privileges, Jesus did, to love us even in the face of hurt. And when he hung on that cross, he said, Father, forgive them. And Peter says he entrusted himself to the Heavenly Father and responded not with reviling or retaliation, but with kindness and love and forgiveness and grace and mercy in the face of hostility. Do you see it? 
I wish I could say the church has done a great job of that through COVID. At times we have not. Can I ask you, one of the most frequent causes of stress and anxiety in your life? Does it not come from being wrongly treated by the people around you? We got really brutally honest. We would say some of the deepest hurts in our lives are from the people, even the closest people in our lives, who've hurt us. We're in trust relationships and that trust has been breached and hurts even more. The closer the person is, it hurts more. And the temptation, what's the temptation? Like our world is to hit back when we've been hit. It's to feed the cycle of hurt and selfishness by reacting in the same way that we've been treated. To retaliate. And that's the way the whole world Jesus says everybody lives that way. He says even those who are in gangs love their own. It's a real challenge to love those who hurt you, who love the unlovely. Who does that? That's God's people's calling. To follow God. To follow Jesus down into greatness. Do you see it, friends? When people see God's peace operating in us, such that we become peacemakers, loving in the face of hurt, rather than escalators. You know what I'm talking about, escalation, right? Marriages experience it. One lashes out. And what does the other do? Retaliates and tries to get on top. And you get this, escalation. Intensification. And we're to be peacemakers. We're to actually take action that leads to peace, which requires love in the face of hostility and hurt. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Don't misquote me. I don't think Paul is suggesting that we be doormats as Christians. Just the opposite. He's suggesting that we have the courage of faith to believe that God, Not humans have the final word. And even as Jesus entrusted himself to his heavenly father and left the justice for later, but responded in love and mercy and grace, we're being called to the same action, to follow Jesus in his first coming. Is it true? Jesus will come again in all his glory and bring judgment? Yes, he will. But here's the thing. You and I don't need to do God's job. We don't need to do Jesus' job. Jesus is near. That's two ways you can understand that. One is that he's always in the room. He always sees. Nothing gets past him. He will have the final word. He will make all wrongs right. He will reward all rights. He will alone bring justice. You don't have to. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do God's job. Leave that to him. And instead, treat others as he has treated you. If there's judgment to come, can I just say, only God has the capacity to do it in a final, ultimate way. You and I are terrible, 
general managers of the universe. We do not, we usually have enough information to make us dangerous. How many times have I wrongly assessed? How many times have I wrongly, because I didn't have all the information, I'm just so imperfect at trying to be the judge of the universe and the final assessor. And Paul say, let God do his work. The Lord is near. He sees it all. Jesus is coming again. He'll take and bring justice to the earth. In the meantime, you follow Jesus and giving away the mercy and the grace he's given to you. And then there's hope for the world. There's hope for peace. Do you see it, friends? Here's the conclusion. I don't have to go around as the final assessor. I can travel light and be gentle with others, even in the face of their harshness, knowing that God will have the final word. I don't have to become like those who hurt me. That just fuels more conflict and hatred. And neither do we need to become hopeless and withdrawn. Instead, we can be God's tool of peace by bringing his light of love in the darkness of hatred. We can defeat evil, Paul said in Romans 12, by good. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do something where the world goes, that's not natural. That's not natural. That has to be supernatural. That can't be normal. Do you see it? Paul gives a third challenge that will help us. So he says, look up in faith, reach out in love. The next one, he says, is keep lifting up in prayer. Verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Look at that. With thanksgiving, always with gratitude. Why? Because (sighs) every breath is from God. He owes me nothing. And he gives me every breath, and he gives me Jesus, so there's always gratitude. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We need to lift up the burdens to a God who's more than able to handle what you and I cannot handle. In light of who God is, he says, don't don't worry and be anxious about the past or the present or the future. Rather, present your request to God with this grateful heart. The discipline of prayer reveals our confidence in God's protection and God's provision. In our world, people try different things to cope with the stress of life. Do they not? They try distractions. A lot of people try to distract themselves from the brokenness. A lot of people try addictive substances to numb themselves from the brokenness or obsessive behaviors. All this, what is it meant to do? It's not really about those addictions and behaviors. It's often about the brokenness that they're feeling. They're trying to numb themselves and not sort of block it out. Just how overwhelming at times life can be. God wants us to learn a healthy way to deal with living in a beautiful but broken world. He says you're not going to find you're not going to find peace in a pill or a bottle or in lust or in abusing people or consuming stuff. You're not going to find it in amusing yourself to death. You're not going to find it even in religious rituals. You're not going to find it in any of those places. The only way you're going to be able to handle 
the overwhelming aspects of this fallen world is by being honest about it, facing it head on, calling it for what it is, and then letting God be God of it. We do that through prayer. See, part of what Paul is saying is, he's not just saying here, don't be anxious, but pray. He's actually giving you the solution to the anxiety. He says, if you want to be free of the anxiety, pray. Because every time you pray in dependence upon God and let God be God of whatever it is that's overwhelming you, you are going to receive His peace that comes from letting Him do the job that you're not made for. Do you see it? We have the assurance. Here's what I'm thrilled about. Every time you pray in faith genuinely, God answers. In one of two ways. He'll either reveal his glory by changing the circumstance, supernaturally, a miracle, providence, circumstances, different ways that God shapes out a change in our circumstances, but he can reveal his glory by changing the circumstance, or he will reveal his glory by not changing the circumstance, but by changing you and giving you grace and capacity to live within those circumstances that he hasn't changed. Either way, it is a manifestation of his glory. And so you can be confident every time you pray, God, you're God of this, you're bigger. I don't have to carry this burden. I can give it to you. Now let me ask you the question. of both ways that God manifests his glory through prayer, what is the greater manifestation of his glory? It's a great question to ask. Is the circumstantial change or the power of Christ in one's life the greater glory? Of course, it's this one. Friends, if he changes your circumstance, this side of heaven, it's but a temporary reprieve. I like to tell people, did you ever think about the fact that Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, had to die again? Was it a great miracle? Yes. But when Jesus doesn't come back, Lazarus has to die again. But any gift of his grace in shaping me to be more like Jesus is eternal. This is eternal. This is temporary. I'm all for God revealing his glory through temporary reprieves, even through miracles. But please know, they are momentary. This, Jesus, is forever. And that's why this peace is unlike what the world can give. It surpasses human understanding. Do you see it? This is so exciting, friends. I hope you do see it. And see that, that, that promise that's there. The promise isn't the disappearance of the struggle. The promise is the reality of God's presence and peace in it. Right now, I'm confident that some of you, if not all of us, have something in our lives right now. Do you feel the, the backpack of burden? I don't know what it is. It might be your health. It might be your marriage. It might be your job. It might be your children. It might be the global circumstances of the war going on in the Ukraine. I don't know what it might be. 
But everyone here has points of vulnerability where we feel that overwhelming nature of the brokenness of this world. And do you see what Paul is saying? Take that burden off. Visualize with me. Put it in a garbage bag. Tie it up. Lift it up to God. And then God says, hold on, my child. Hold on, my child. I've got a present for you. A beautifully wrapped present, and you open it. And it's his peace that passes, surpasses anything this world could give you. Do you feel that? Just do it right now. Take it off, put it in the garbage bag, lift it up to him. I don't know what it is. And take his peace and live in it. Drink it. Drink it in deeply and live in it. And it won't be, that's it. You might have to do that again and again and again this week and for some period of time. But by God's grace, that prayer becomes the supernatural antibody that kills off the disease of fear and worry and says it guards your heart and your mind. It creates a wall of protection around you. Praise God. Paul gives one final way to deal with this vulnerability and instability of life. He says we must keep drinking in the word. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Point is, he says, don't focus on your circumstances or yourselves but focus on the will of God, on the principles, the precepts, and the promises of God's truth. Replace that mental intake diet of pop and junk food, of social media and TV and news, and intake the meat and the milk of the Word of God. You see it? I'm not against social media. I'm not against watching the news. I do both. But you know what I've seen for Christians? Too many Christians during this season have been spending too much time on that stuff and not enough time drinking in the Word. And they're frustrated. And they're angry. And they're lacking joy. They're lacking contentment, which should be the first giveaway. Something's not right here. The wrong voices are shaping my life because when God and his truth and his presence and power is shaping my life, it looks like joy and contentment and peace. It doesn't look like the angst and the anger and all the frustration that's being manifested sometimes in this season, right? You see it? God, forgive me because I have been there. I have been there. I've been on social media. Lord, bring me back. Get my eyes on you. Get me fixated there. Do you see it? Focus on the Lord. And I think he's focusing, not giving an exhaustive list. The last two phrases in verse 8 really point out that Paul wants us really to dwell on whatever has moral, spiritual excellence and is pleasing to God. In other words, God's truth. I think these things could just as easily be a description of Jesus as well. 
even as the fruit of the Spirit, is really a description of Jesus, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these things, that which is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. This is Jesus. In other words, God, help me to fixate through your word on the beauty and the treasure of all that Jesus is from you. And the goal here isn't merely right thinking, but it's life transformation. Notice he's aiming to practice these things. And if we feed upon and live out the reality of God's truth, we will possess a deep-seated rest and peace from God. You know, many people assume that anxiety is the result of too much thinking. But the Bible would say, in reality, it's the result of too little thinking in the right direction. Culturally, when we think of meditation, what do we think of? Emptying your mind. That's what the world says. That's how you're going to find peace. Empty your mind. Empty your soul. Become one with the universe. And the Bible says, no, no, that's not proper meditation. Here's proper meditation. Fill your mind with God's truth, with God himself, his presence and power. Engage and savor who God is and what he has said, his precepts his principles, right? His promises. Fill your heart and your mind with that. And then the God of peace you will experience. Isn't this beautiful? Look up. Reach out. Lift up and drink in. These are the ways that God wants. I know. I felt overwhelmed, if I'm honest during this season, these last two years, there are moments when I've just been struggling and what is going on in the world right now. It's tragic. It's so sad and you grieve it. We don't know what the future holds. But here's what I do know. I know the person who holds the future. And while I can't trace it and don't know it, he sees it all. And I'm always in the best of hands when I am secure in his love and presence. The way God wants us to deal with this common human experience, and some of you, again, who come into this place weighed down by personal circumstances that are going on in your life, and you're saying, like, how? How do I deal with this? How do I cope? And God says, I want to give you my deep abiding peace and joy in my son that can't be touched. It is utterly, utterly secure. We experience it by looking up in faith, reaching out in love, lifting up in prayer, and drinking in the word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your amazing love for us. Thank you that you not only gave us in the gift of your son another gift from you, but you gave us the fullness of yourself the fullness of your grace and mercy and truth and righteousness, presence and power in the gift of Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us, even as we leave this place today, to make that determination by your grace, to anchor there, to fixate upon the author and perfecter of our faith so that we can experience a peace that nothing in this world can give us, 
And then, Lord, we can give that away to others, pointing them to you through that testimony. Help us to find our confidence in you. May you be our refuge and strength, that ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even if the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, even in the greatest cataclysm of life, Lord, we can be confident and secure and be still and just know that you are God. Lord, thank you that you give us what we could never create for ourselves or find in this world. Help us to see it, savor it, and share it for your glory and the good of others, we pray in his name. Amen.